Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Jesus, we do come. We are so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you are our King. You're our resurrected King. You're our Lord. You're our leader. And you also told us that you call us your friends. Jesus, we just want that to sink in for a minute. That we get to be friends with the King of everything and we want to praise your name because you're so good to us you guide us you direct us you lead us even in a world gone mad a world with pandemics a world with division a world God with chaos and yet when we come to you we find peace and we find hope and we find help for our times of need and so we come and Father God we come thanking you thanking you that you sent your only begotten son so that we could be saved so that we could experience salvation both for eternity but even salvation from the captivity of this world from the captivity of our own sin thank you Father Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. We thank you, God, that you are three in one. And we celebrate your presence with us today, and we give you thanks, and we bring our heart's concerns, we bring our cares, we bring our worries, our fears, our hopes, our dreams, we bring them all to you right now, God, saying we need you, Father. We need need a word from you. We need a touch from you. We need hope from you. We need help from you. So, God, we come. We ask you to open our minds to your word, the truth about who you say you are to us and for us and in us. And so we pray. We bring our own needs right now. Just tell them to your Father. Just tell him what's on your heart right now. Just tell him. Father, we're so grateful you hear our prayers and our cries. We thank you that it's not just for River Bluff Church, but God, that it's for your kingdom, for churches all over the place. And so, God, we come knowing that we're just one outpost, that there are many all over the world right now gathered, and some who can't gather. Lord, I pray especially for church plants and church planters that, God, the place where they were meeting, like a school or something, got pulled away and they can no longer gather at all. I pray for them. Some here locally, I I think of one in Asheville right now, God, that you've put on my heart this week. I pray for the church called The Gathering in Asheville, North Carolina, and I pray for Pastor John Mark Redwine. I just pray for that congregation, that staff, those people, God. I pray your blessings upon them. God, I pray that you will provide a place for them to gather, to worship you, to spread your goodness in Asheville. And Father, we come now. We come grateful to you that you are our Father, grateful, Jesus, that you told us we could call 
God, Father, grateful Holy Spirit that you inspire our prayers. And so we come praying the prayer that Jesus taught us. And so I ask you to join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You, you may be seated. Well, I hope you are doing well today. Um, you, you look well. For those of you that are maybe gathered with us for the first time, we, we are a masked environment except when we kind of sit down. And so if you're comfortable unmasking at this point in the service, we encourage you to do that. If you're more comfortable with it on, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, we just want to keep each other safe and um, just encourage each other. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a prayer. It's a prayer that many of you will recognize. It's often thought of as a mealtime prayer. If, if you catch on to it and you know it, say it with me, okay? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. Now, I know that that is mostly thought of as a prayer we use to train our children how to talk to God, thankfully, about provision of food in our lives. And it's, it, it's great for that. Um, but it is really an awesome, incredible declaration of who God is, that he's great and, and that he's good. It's an incredible statement, really, of faith and trust in, in God. Now, obviously, like with any prayer, you can say it mindlessly, and it will have no value, no, no meaning, but you can do that with any prayer. You can do that with just a prayer you just pray, you know, uh, spontaneously. You can, you can pray that mindlessly. But I love the, the two statements that it starts out with, that God, you are great, and God, you are good. Now, last week, we looked at that second phrase. We talked a lot about the goodness of God, and I, I, I want to I say something, especially if you're here, and last week you tried to uh, view us from home, and you ran into our technical difficulty. Sorry, those of you at home, uh, we think that's been solved now, and uh, so we say uh, sorry to you. Uh, I know some of you got to watch it later that evening, and if you didn't, I encourage you to go back and, and maybe check that message out, because I really do believe that the goodness of God is the foundation for how we can ask God for anything. It's the, it's the foundation for prayer. But I don't want to talk about the goodness right now of God. I want to go back to that very first statement in that prayer. And I want us to think today about the greatness of God. That God, God is so great that his greatness has to be displayed in multiple ways. Our God is a multifaceted God, and his greatness has to be expressed that way, kind of like a, a diamond. Um, you know, people say that a diamond that has, has more facets on it, more faces on it, has, uh, is more beautiful. It ref, refracts and reflects 
You've got to be careful saying those together. Um, it, 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 it refracts and it reflects light more. And it just makes its beauty even more. And some people would say its value even more. Well, God is even more beautiful than that. And he's more multifaceted than, than any diamond. His glory is, is just beautiful and, and incredible. Now, thinking together this morning about the greatness of God, uh, I want to I think about some of the ways he displays himself. Because here's one of the things that has occurred over the course of this pandemic and um, over the course of kind of a, the, the chaos in our culture and the struggle, um, especially these last few weeks leading up to, to, this, to this election, the division, I've had a lot of people come and tell me that I talked with that they're just feeling pulled in so many different directions. No amen. I just thought, oh my gosh, I don't say much to get amen, but I just knew that, never mind. If you got to ask for it, don't count. Um, I mean, I, I feel it. I just feel like we're pulled in so many crazy different directions. And if we're going to come to a great God who's multifaceted, I think we need to come uh, in, in a multifaceted way through, through prayer. And so I want to point to some ways to do that very practically in just a few minutes. But I want to I think for a minute about this point. And, and this is really my first point of my message today is that our God is a multifaceted God. His greatness is so vast, it has to be expressed and displayed in so many, many ways. And so you say, Joe, how, how do you see that? How do you know? I'm glad you asked. Well, the first way that you can see the multifaceted greatness of God is in creation. It is in creation. Uh, God's, God in his creation, you can just look around. You can tell that God is multifaceted. Just so many of that, those things show up in things that you can know about God just through his creation. The Bible says this about, about God's creation in Romans chapter 1. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, these are qualities that you may not just be able to see, but they show up in creation. His eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from that which has been made, so that men are without excuse. In other words, you, we can't blame God if, if you may not have had a Bible accessible to you because his, his glory and his creation displays that he exists. And sometimes skeptics challenge us Christians saying, well, you know, what if somebody didn't have a Bible? How will they know about God? Well, God's word says he, he shows up and shows off in his creation. That you don't have to have a Bible to know a little bit of something about God. For instance, we can look at God's creation and know that God loves diversity. He loves variety. He, he, he made so many things diverse and, and, and just so various. He, he's, he's extraordinarily creative. You ever watched a sunset or a sunrise locally on the ocean? I mean, every, they're different every day, but they're beautiful and, and glorious. God is extraordinarily creative. His, he's powerful. You ever been trapped outside in a lightning storm? Man, that's power. It's scary if that's ever happened to you. It's, it's crazy. How many of you were here and rode out Hugo in Charleston with me? Power, baby. We didn't know how much power till the lights came back on. Well, the lights didn't come on. The sun came up. You know, we were able to go outside and to see the destructive power of that storm. It was, it, it was just crazy. We, we can know a lot about God from, from creation. We, we, we can do that. And the Bible says we're at ex, without excuse. And it shows us that God is, in his, in his universe, is complex 
uh, in, in who he is. You know, our, our universe is exponentially more complex than what I'm wearing on my wrist. I got this Fitbit thing that Kathy gave me. It, it really hasn't made me any fitter, just so you know. I'm, I, I, I think it's broke. Um, the, uh, but here's the truth about this thing. When, when, she, when I got this, my first thought was not, oh, how did those things randomly form to become this technological masterpiece? I never thought that once. You know what I thought? Some engineer somewhere designed this, and some people put it together. That's what I thought. But people look at our universe. They, they, they look at things that are, they look at the human eye, and they tell, try to tell you that it just kind of randomly happened. Friends, just me, it takes more faith not to believe in God in creation than it does to believe that there is an intelligent designer and creator. It just takes more faith to me. God, God, God is vastly complex in, in his creation, and so we know that that's who he is. God himself would be complex. And not only does creation acknowledge it, but God's word does too. God's word talks about this in Job chapter 11. Job and, and God, we, were, we just did a study on Job not long ago. They're having this conversation, and, and Job was kind of complaining at this point in chapter 11 about his life. And God basically says, hey, Job, slow your roll, dude. Job's translation, okay? Um, just hold it. I'm in charge here, God, God says. Look, look at what he says in verse 7. He's, he, he asked Job, he said, can you discover the limits and bounds of the greatness and power of God? The sky is no limit for God. How many of you ever heard the saying, well, the sky is the limit? Not for God. His limit goes beyond that, you know? If you keep reading, it says, but it lies. God's, God's limit lies beyond your reach. God knows the world of the dead, but you don't know it. In other words, there's a whole realm of existence that you and I don't know that God, God knows about. If we keep reading here, it goes on to say God's greatness is broader than the earth. It's wider than the sea. We can know the greatness of our God is so multifaceted. There's another way that we can see the greatness of God's multifaceted just power and awesomeness, and we can see it in the, carna the incarnation of Jesus. We see this in the incarnation of Jesus. We see our multifaceted God. It, it, in other words, when, when God made the decision to come to earth in human form, that's what that word incarnation means, um, he, he, he came. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that uh, the word became flesh. And it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the glory of the only begotten Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. We, we see in the incarnation just the, the, the multifaceted nature of God, that God can be in heaven and come to earth at the same time, that he's, he's able to accomplish that, and that it wasn't, it wasn't a, a hard deal for God. God, God you know, God, when he decided to become a human, it wasn't, it wasn't a struggle. If God, had wanted, if God had wanted to commune with aardvarks, he'd have come as an aardvark. But God wanted to commune with you. So he came as a human being. It wasn't, it wasn't hard for him to, 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 to come and do that. 
because he wanted to be with you. He wanted to be known by you and to, and, and to know you. He's, he's multifaceted. And the proof of that is in Jesus himself. The Bible says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 13 that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. How many of you are the same as you were last week? Okay, let me ask this. Some of you nodded yes. How many of you this week brushed your hair and some hair got left in your brush? Not the same as you were last week. How many of you maybe found another wrinkle? How many of you maybe put on a pound, found one, or lost one? You know, you, you know what I'm saying? You're not the same person you were last week. Jesus is. Because he's so different from us. He's, he's multifaceted. Same today, yesterday, and, and forever. Nobody else is, is like him. No, nobody else is like that. He's, he's a multifaceted God. He's not confined. He was when he walked the earth, but he, he's not confined to time or space. One of the great passages about, about Jesus is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. It starts out this way. It says, grace to you and peace from him. And that him there is Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. It says, who is, who was, and who is to come. I mean, that's everything. He, he's, he's, he's all in all. Now, that, that doesn't describe me. It doesn't describe you either. That's not, that's not who we are. Jesus shows the multifaceted greatness of God. And we can actually see this also. The, the multifaceted greatness of God shows up in the Holy Spirit's activity. The, the working of the Holy Spirit. His activity in the world. Jesus says this in John chapter 3 about the Holy Spirit. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from. Or where it goes. Then he says this. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You, you're not going to be able to always see the activity of the Spirit. Well, you, you're going to be able to see the outcome. But you may not be able to see his activity all the time. What Jesus is saying here, you can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. You, you, can't, you can't control the Holy Spirit. He moves in ways that you don't know about. I don't, I don't know about. He, 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 you know, even though we can't see him, we can see his, his power. And he works in multifaceted ways. Again, in Job chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, Job is talking about this, the spiritual aspect of God. And he says, he's talking about God who does great things beyond searching out, marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me. I see him not. He moves on, but I don't perceive him. See, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all are, are multifaceted. Now, some of you are saying, okay, that, that, that's not a big revelation. I, I wasn't intending on it to be, but it's a foundation. And it's a foundation for the next point I want to make, and it's this. Because God is multifaceted, because he has this multifaceted nature, it means this, I'm never alone. I'm never alone. Because God's greatness is so vast and so multifaceted, I, I, I'm never, ever alone. He's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. If you're a Christ follower, if you've trusted Jesus, he's uh, above you. He's in you. He's, he's all around you. And it's not because, you know, it's a bunch of gods. It's one God expressing himself in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I love the way David King David in the Old Testament expressed his experience 
with, with God this way. He says this. He said, where could I go to escape from you? Where could I get away from your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I lay down in the world of the dead, you would be there. If I flew away beyond the east or lived in the farthest place in the west, you would be there to lead me. You would be there to help me. I could ask the darkness to hide me or the light around me to turn into night, but even darkness is not dark for you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you, God. They're they're just the same to you. Now, there are so many things that I could learn. We could talk, we could talk all day about, about that passage of Scripture. But here's one really big takeaway for me from this passage of Scripture. I hope it will be for you too. Never play hide-and-seek with God. You can't win. Because wherever you go hide, he's there. He's already there. No, no matter where you go, God is right there. And here's what we're talking about, friends. Theologians use the word omnipresence. God exists everywhere, all the time, always has, always will. He's at the beginning, he's at the end, he's there yesterday, today, tomorrow. God is everywhere. That means there's no place you've ever been or no place you're going to go where God's not there. And I hope that encourages you because you're never alone. Now, I want us to think practically. Some of you are saying, okay, I thought we were talking about prayer. We are. But sometimes you have to have theological foundations to think about how to pray practically. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time doing. I want, I want us to think uh, uh, specifically about five. There are more. But I want us to think today about five facets of prayer. Five kind of practical facets of praying to our great and multifaceted God. Okay? Here we go. Here's the first one. And this is kind of, these are just some things that I do, I, I've done. And they've grown over the years for me, um, and it'll make sense in a minute. But one of, one of the things that I, I do when I pray, and I would encourage you to do, is to regularly, as a part of your prayer life, look back at the sacrifice Jesus made for you. Look back at the sacrifice. One of the things that that does for me you know, here's what, here's what happens a lot of times. Sometimes when we, when we come to God in prayer, the first thing we start doing is, is just kind of spitting out the problems I'm having or the worries I got about what's going to happen tomorrow. We just kind of go at that. Instead of, instead of kind of getting with who we're there with, and one of the ways it helps me to really connect with God is by looking back at Jesus' sacrifice because it sets the table for, for my, my prayer time. It's good to look back at the cross as you start to pray because here's what happens. Immediately your heart is moved to gratitude. Immediately your heart is filled with thankfulness. Psalms 100 verse 4 tells us that's how we're to enter God's presence. We're to enter his courts, his presence, with, with, with thanksgiving in our hearts, his, with, with, with praise. And that happens when I stop and I look back at the sacrifice that Jesus made. And and there are three things that come quickly to my mind when I look back at his sacrifice. One of those is that how deeply I'm loved by God. Then the next thought is how costly my sin was to God. And then how incredible that makes the forgiveness that he's given me. You know, those are three things just real quickly when I... I think, and it makes me so thankful. It makes me so encouraged that that's, that's who I love. So look back. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, we read these words. It says, for you know that God has paid a ransom to save you from the empty life. God did not plan for your life to be empty. He sent Jesus to do that. He paid a ransom. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. There's only one way to really tell how much something is worth. Now, some people think, yeah, you can go, go, to, go, go to an appraiser. Or you can go to the Antiques Roadshow, and they'll tell you how much it's worth, you know. You can, you know, your Aunt Bessie who gave you this heirloom will tell you, oh, it's worth this. Probably not. The way that, the only way that you can really tell what something's worth is how much somebody's willing to pay for it. You'll know then. How much were you worth to God? How much? One Jesus. You were worth one Jesus to God. That's how much he loved you, how much God, your father, was willing to sacrifice. So, th- so think about it. Right now, right now, this very moment, all of the sins that you've committed, they're in the past now, okay? They're, they're in the past. Guess what else is in the past? Jesus' sacrifice. It's in the past. But here's the really cool thing about a sacrifice on the cross. It took care of the future as well. It took care of all our sins, anything that you have yet to commit, Jesus paid for. And so that means my future is secure. So when I think about what Jesus has done, the sacrifice he made, when I look back, it encourages me so much. The other thing that it does is it emboldens my soul in prayer. Because I can take on hell knowing this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. I don't think it's going to come up on the screen. I don't think this is in there. But in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it's a great, great, powerful verse. And it says that when we're kind of looking back at our lives, one of the things that we're going to know is how we overcame Satan. And it tells us in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it tells us that we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony because we didn't fear death, but by the blood of the Lamb, by the sacrifice that Jesus made. Man, when I read that, I'm emboldened to take him on now. That I can overcome him because of Jesus' sacrifice. It causes me to pray bold prayers and stand up against any accusation or lie or temptation that he wants to bring in my life. Because of what Jesus did, that sacrifice. So I, I, I look back and see the sacrifice of God. Second practical way to pray is to look up to see God as Father. I need to practically look up in my prayer time to see the face of my Father, to to see God. I, I, I need to do that. God doesn't want your first thought about him to be your supervisor or your boss or, you know, some kind of dictator or coach. The Bible tells us that the first thing God wants you to think about when you think of him is Father. He wants you to know him as Father. So here's, I, I want to ask you a question. When you pray, what title do you use for God? Do you call him Father? Ever. Or do you mostly use God and Lord? And, and don't, don't, those aren't evil. But God wants you to call him Father. And some people will say, Joe, 
my earthly father, oh man, I don't want to think about God like him. Okay, don't. God is not your earthly father. Your earthly father is not God, even though he may have tried to tell you so. He, he's not. And so you got to separate that and, and go with what God has said. I want you to know me as father. I want you to talk to me as father. I'm perfect. I'm completely competent. We looked at this in, in our small group time this week. Uh, God says I'm competent. I'm, I'm close. I'm considerate. I'm capable. God says I, I'm, I'm all of these things. Every other father is imperfect, but not Father God. And that's why when Jesus said, when you're thinking about learning how to pray, told his disciples when you pray, start off by saying, our Father, not Lord, not Creator, not God, but Father. He wants you to know him as Father. See, one of the things that will control so much of your life more than anything else in your prayer life is who you're thinking about when you're praying, how you're thinking about him. And I just want to challenge you. You can radically recharge or reshape your prayer life just by doing something this simple, desiring to know God as Father. God, God wants you to know him as Father. And, and the reason using that term it's so important is because it sets the tone for your conversation. It sets the, the tone for your conversation. If somebody comes a, a, and approaches me and says, Reverend Still, I know I'm in trouble probably. You know, something, something about to bust right there. Just, it's going to happen, you know. Because, and I may, I might not even answer if somebody calls me that because I, I, I don't, I, I don't get called that much, which is cool. But I know it's going to be formal. There's going to be this formal conversation. But somebody says, hey, Joe, even if they're not talking to me, I'm going to, huh? Yeah, what can I do for you? I'm going to respond pretty quickly because it's going to be conversational. It's going to be known. It's going to be this kind of relational kind of activity. And God says, I want you to call me Father. I want you to know me th that way. Don't think of coming in prayer as some kind of deposition. I'm not going to hook you up to a lie detector test. I'm not the FBI. I'm your father. I want to know you. Jesus even goes on and often uses a more intimate term. Remember that term that Jesus used with father? Abba. Abba, Father. Paul, later writing to the church at Rome about how to commune, how to connect with God, he wrote these words in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He's talking about prayer. He says, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You know, you're, you don't go into the presence of God thinking, oh, man, I'm about to get a beating. That's, he says, no, you don't do that. You didn't receive that kind of spirit, it says, that makes you like a slave again. He says, but you received the spirit of sonship. Of, of daughtership. You're, you've been declared a father or a daughter of God. And because of that, here's what should happen. We should cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. We, we should cry out. It goes on, that verse does, to talk about the inheritance that we have in, in Christ, that we're going to share in his suffering, but oh man, we're going to share in his glory. We're going to share in his glory as well. And, and, and those, those few verses there are packed with so much truth that I, I, I can't run by them because there's some things about God as your father you got to get that he desires. 
that he wants your prayers to be filled with. The first thing that your God, God wants, God your Father wants you, your prayers to be are intimate. He wants your prayers to be intimate. And so he's not only satisfied with you calling him Father, he wants you to, to use the more intimate term. Abba. Dada. Papa. After my grandkids came along, well, I, when, when we found out that we were going to be grandparents, you know, Kathy immediately started deciding what she was going to be called. And she wanted to be called Grammy, which is sweet. You know, I think it's a good thing. But I got strategic in my thinking. I want, because it's, it's a competition, you know, to, to who, they, who they call your name first. That's, it's the competition. And so I thought, what is really Papa. Papa is really easy to say. And so I thought, I will beat Kathy this time. Finally, I'll win something. Um, and, and sure enough, it's, it's such an easy word to say. But when my, my grandchildren started saying it, it melted my heart. And I realized, that's, that's Abba. And so in my prayer life, I've started calling him Papa. There's a level of intimacy there. That, that God desires. He wants us to know him that way. He wants you to know him that way. Now, I see some of you are already rolling your eyes. Just put them back in your head. God wants you in your prayer with him to call him Abba, Dada, Papa. He wants intimacy with you. He wants you to know him like that. And friends, when you do, it'll start reshaping your prayer life. He, he, doesn't want, he, he wants you to go even more intimate and deeper than just, just Father. It's such a, an affectionate term. It will, it will radically reshape the, the way that you pray. God wants intimacy God, God don't want none of that old thou great potentate way up there in the yonder yonder. He, he's not looking for that. He just wants, hey, Daddy, my life's a wreck right now. I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I can't even think about tomorrow. Daddy, help. Please help me, Papa. That's, that's the kind of prayer that God wants. And not only does he want it to, to, to be intimate, he, he, he also wants it to be impassioned. He, he wants you to pour out your emotions to God, to just, just cry out in his presence. It's okay to weep when you pray, to, to, to be moved to tears at times. Have you ever noticed that when a kid wants to cry, they just cut loose. Whether they're in the mall or the grocery you know, storyline, they don't care about what you think. They just cry. When you pray, especially maybe with somebody else, do you kind of think, I can't, I can't go there. That gets kind of funky. If, if, if you're having those thoughts as you're praying, then you're, you quit praying somewhere back there. You're no longer talking to God. You're more worried about what people think about you. 
Just, just go to God intimately, impassioned by who you're with. Those emotions that you have, you know where you got them? You're creating the image of God. The Bible tells us that God expresses emotion. Jesus did when he was on this earth, and he was the perfect image of, of God. Third way that God would like our prayers to be is intimate and passion, but also integrated with the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a partnering in, in, in praying. It's connected to the Holy Spirit when we pray. And that's not really something you need to work on as so much as you just need to be aware of. Look at what Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 26 says. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Anybody in the house ever, when you first kind of started trying to learn to pray, feel like that? I don't know how to do this. I don't know what to say. It's okay. Holy Spirit's got you. Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit's there with you. Look, it, it goes on to say, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Friends, there are times still in my life that I will, I will have time that I've set aside to be with God in prayer, and I get there, and I don't know what to pray. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. And so sometimes I'll just sit there, and I, it sounds kind of strange, but I'll just say, okay, Lord, I'm here today. I don't, I don't know what to say right now. I, I just, I'm, I'm here because you said you were going to be here, and so, so I'm here. And sometimes the next thing I do is just, I just sit there. And I can do that comfortably because I know what, what this passage in Romans is saying. It's saying that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. He's interceding for me when I, when I don't even know what to pray for. Or when I'm praying, he's interceding with me. The Holy Spirit, there's this integration that God wants in my prayer life. He wants me aware that I'm connected to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, is helping me pray. I know you think that's kind of like God talking to himself. Tell me you ain't never talked to yourself. You know, some of you talking to yourself right now saying, I wish that guy would hurry up. You know? You ever done that? You're in a conversation with somebody, and what you're doing is you're working real hard to think about what the next thing is you're going to say. Three sentences down the road. See, the Holy Spirit will help you pray. God knows what you need. He knows how to pray for your needs. The Spirit does that. So here's what that does for me. It gives me confidence. I don't have to get every word right. I don't have to check any boxes off. The Holy Spirit, because of the multifaceted greatness of God, the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. He's praying with me every time I pray. So I look back at the sacrifice Jesus made. I look up seeking the face of my Father who wants to know me intimately, who wants me praying in passion prayers, who wants me to know that my, my life is integrated with the Holy Spirit when I pray. And then third, kind of practical facet here is I, I, I look in to see Christ in me. I look back, I look up, I look in, looking for Christ in me. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says this, God chose to make known how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you came to Christ by faith, when you trusted him, the Bible says 
Jesus came to live in you. He makes his home in you. John 15 says this, if you will abide in him, he will abide in you. He will dwell in you. Jesus makes a home in you. He also says he puts the Holy Spirit in you. And you may say, I don't really understand that or I I really haven't felt that. Well, it's not about what you feel. It's about do you trust what God's word says? Because you will, over time, begin to experience the activity of the Holy Spirit. His multifaceted presence, his greatness will begin to flow out of your life. And since Jesus is in me, God's spirit is in me, what that means is I'm unconditionally accepted by the Father because they're they're living in me. And you know what that does? That gives me freedom. Knowing that Jesus is in me, it gives me freedom to deal with the junk in me. It, deal, it, gives, me, it gives me freedom and comfort to know that the, 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 there's stuff in me. And Jesus says, I know, there, I know more about your stuff than you do. I'm in here looking at your stuff, man. I see your secret sin. I see your flesh patterns. I see all of that stuff. I see those hurtful memories. I see those dumb hang-ups you still have, man. And what that does is it gives me encouragement. If he will stay in there with that, it gives me encouragement to say, Jesus, I really don't want that stuff in there. I want it out. Will you help me? And Jesus says, absolutely. It's cluttering up my space, man. I'm ready to help you get this out. I've just been waiting on you to ask. And you can go to God and say, Jesus, help me. Help me get over this this compulsion. Help me to to forgive this thing that I've been carrying. God, help me. It gives you the, the freedom to start doing that. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, do this. He said, examine yourself. He says to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. The starting place to ask is, you know, if, you're, if, if you pray and nothing ever has happened, maybe you've never prayed and trusted Christ with your life. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Never, maybe you've never said, Jesus, I forsake. I forsake my sin. I, I, I repent. I turn away from that. I turn away from thinking I can be good enough to get to heaven. I'm coming to you, and I'm trusting that your death on the cross is the only thing that makes that possible. It says examine yourself. And don't stop there. Examine the, these other aspects of your life. When I go to the doctor, I, I usually only go to the doctor when I'm sick. And the doctor does this exam. And the examination is to help me get well. And before my soul can find wellness, it's got to, to be examined. Jesus, Jesus said, the truth is what sets us free. That's what sets us free. You know which truth we hate the most? Truth about ourselves. I like the truth about you. I don't like the truth about myself so much. But Jesus said it's what sets me free. So he's got to, and here's what truth does about you. Before it sets you free, it'll make you miserable. It'll just kick your butt sometimes. Okay, you're not going to want it, but it, that's the only way to freedom, and so it's okay, and you start saying, okay, Jesus, you're living in me. You're going to sh- show me the truth. I want, I, I want, I'm going to do the exam. Show me the truth, Jesus. It's going to hurt, but you're in there. You'll help me get it out. 
And God's word says that's what Jesus does. He'll, he'll do that work. And once you start trusting him to do that, you'll experience him. You'll, you'll, you'll begin to, to sense him replacing things, man. You'll start, you'll, you'll start feeling that person you couldn't forgive. You'll find yourself starting to love that person. Say, huh? Or you'll start feeling where, where, where your life has been just almost depressed. You'll start feeling joy. See, that's the, that's the product of life with Jesus, giving him permission, being confident that it's okay to say, Jesus, help me get rid of this. He'll start filling them with things like love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things will start happening to you because that's what the presence of Jesus in you does. And every day, every day is a new opportunity for that kind of transformation. So look in. Then the, the, the fourth thing to do is look around. Look around to see the Holy Spirit at work. Look around to see the Holy Spirit at work. And then add two more words to your, your prayer. Start with, start with Papa, Abba, Dada, whichever word you go with. Start with that, but then say, Papa, use me. Friends, that's a dangerous prayer. Papa, use me. It's a dangerous prayer, but it's a prayer that will just empower God's life in you. Here, here's what most of us do. Most of us just criticize or we whine about the world and the condition that it's in. Or, or worse yet, what we do is we blog about it or tweet about it. Or I guess that's more like that these days. Why not, instead of doing that, say, Holy Spirit, the world's in a mess, but you're, you're at work. The world's, God's word says you're at work all around me. Show me where you're working near me so I can join you. Use me. I, I want to be a part of your work, not my own. I want to quit whining, start working with you to change the world for God's glory. And the Bible says when you do that, when you pray that, that use me prayer, God will do it. Romans chapter 6 verse 13 says this, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Be, just say, God, I'm all in. Use me. Abba. Father, use me. I want to be doing what you're doing. And here's what will happen when you do. You'll discover, you'll discover the purpose for which you were made, why you were put here on the planet. You'll discover what I love to call the sweet spot of your life. You'll just know God, God made me for, for this moment. You'll, you'll discover what God shaped you for. Where's Guy? Guy Smith, raise your hand. Guy Smith one of our pastors here, loves to help people find their shape. Loves to help people get plugged into a ministry that they were created by God for. So if you need help in that, you, you pray that prayer, Abba, Papa, use me, and, and you, you start sensing something, and you may need some help, Pastor Guy would love to help you do that. Help you think about what that looks like. It'll change your life. So you look back, you look back to see the sacrifice Okay, you look up to see your father's face. You look in to see Christ in you. You look around to see where the Holy Spirit's at work. Near